The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and 1077 FM HD2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Andrew Mitchell. Tech Talk Radio. It's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Andrew Mitchell. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Andrew Mitchell. And we're having lots of fun in technology again. The billionaire crypto couple, of course, was caught. And I'm going to explain exactly how they were caught because Bitcoin is really not that anonymous. But then I'm going to go through the five ways that you can do transactions in Bitcoin to try to keep it anonymous and not make the same mistake that the crypto couple made. But of course, they were trying to unload almost $3.6 billion of, of crypto, and it's hard to unload that without people noticing. This week, we're going to feature Nikola Tesla. He is the man who invented so many things relating to alternating current, you know, motors, generators, AC, transmission lines. He also, uh, you, know, you know, invented, uh, came up with x-rays first, he came up with remote control, remote operation of, say, of devices first. He was a man who was ahead of his time, but he led a lonely and sad life. We're going to talk all about Nikola Tesla. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Yeah. I, I might make a note, Andrew. I found the voice of Tesla, 20-second clip, and I sent it to you. It may be too late to get it on the air, but I think it'd be fun if we could get I it. I will be working on it. Okay, very good. We got an email from Bob in Maryland. Dear Doc and Andrew, today I read about a couple of mysterious failures of the Internet in Europe caused by, in one case, by a father trying to make sure his kids got some sleep and another one by an old TV set. The father used a signal jammer to rein in his children's internet and managed to wipe out the town's entire connectivity by mistake. The second outage was caused by an individual who turned on an old secondhand television at the same time every day, and the TV was sending out electrical bursts that disrupted the, uh, the uh, cell tower in the area. What do you think, Doc? All the best, your faithful listener, Bob in Maryland. Well, Bob, both of these are examples of how vulnerable our system is to intentional jamming. We have the same vulnerability in space, by the way, with our satellites. Signal jamming is going to become a common feature of modern warfare. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they're doing jamming over there in Kurdistan right now or in, um, uh, over there in Europe. In the first case, the father purchased a multi-band jammer to prevent his teenage children from going online at night without permission. 
Now, it's illegal to sell or to buy such jammers without a permit in most countries, including the United States. But that being said, I went online and I could find people to sell me a jammer for around $200. Now, uh, so uh, it's illegal, but available. So you weren't, <laughs> you weren't even on the dark web. This is just on the regular web. I wasn't even on the dark web, no. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I think they figure they'll sell it to you, and then uh, uh, you're not going to be detected un unless you use it. Then they'll come after you. Now, a jammer simply emits a noisy signal in the signal band the device you wish to jam. Uh, so what they did in the case of the what you do because the uh, say cellular radios work in several bands, uh, you know, de depending on the uh, the carrier. These are bands that have been licensed by the FCC. So it simply puts out noise in those bands, and uh, and these devices are all low power devices. They're they've got highly sensitive receivers, and if you jam it with a lot of power you swamp the signal and you don't have any cell phone reception. So it's relatively easy to do that. Now, uh, a cell phone jammer is legal in some instances if, you, if it's low power. Like if somebody has a, uh, a theater and they don't want cell phone usage in the theater, uh, you are permitted to have a low power jammer that would just cover the theater, but wouldn't propagate outside. Though that's the only instance where you can get a permit for a jammer, for instance. But I don't know any theaters that have done that, but they, they could if they'd want to. But, well, you would know. Like, I mean, people, if they wouldn't even be able to text. Is that correct? They wouldn't even be able to text? Yeah, if, they, if they, they were wouldn't being even jammed. be able to do that. Yeah. yeah, I don't think anybody's ever, yeah, I've never heard of anybody finding that out the hard way. Now, now another way you can do it, if you're in a theater and you want to keep people from, uh, without without a jammer, you can set up a fake uh, a fake uh, cell tower, and then all the phones connect to that cell tower. They think it's your phone thinks it's the local cell tower, but then it doesn't go anywhere. So, so the phones all connect to this fake uh, cell tower signal, and then they uh, they they don't care. so people don't know that they're being jammed. They just think nothing's coming in or out. Uh, now, as far as that uh, that uh, TV goes. Uh, uh, basically, a spark gap will generate broadband noise. I mean, that's the same thing that Tesla had spark gaps. And in his inventions, he could have a spark gap and generate lots and lots of noise. That, that spark gap is how he was getting radio transmission. So if you've got an old TV and uh, in one of the um, you know, vacuum tubes is sparking, uh, it could, or, what, or maybe a couple of wires in there are sparking because the insulation has, has gotten old and has a crack in it. Uh, it could it could de definitely generate a lot of broadband that would that would kill the um, the cellular signals around the around the TV. Wouldn't it wouldn't do it for the whole town, but it would do it in the local area. So how how would how do you even know? Like if you have an old TV, are you hearing popping sounds or a little crackle, or 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 is it more subtle than that? Yeah, I don't think you would even hear it. Uh huh. I, I doubt. I mean, you could. I mean, if it was really bad, you could hear it. You 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 could probably hear the uh, the crackling. But if it were that bad, it would probably burn out. So so this probably was not not enough to hear, but you could certainly uh, certainly uh, detect it. Uh, we got an email from Donald in Richmond. Dear Tech Talk, I'm producing a website and I found the perfect picture. Unfortunately, it's on another website. Now. 
Now, I could just copy it and steal it and put it on my website, but I don't want to do that. I, I want, I want to be, uh, follow all the rules. Now, I can tell by looking at this picture, it's probably licensed. It looks like a licensed type of photo, but I don't know where they bought it. Uh, is there, is there, do you have some way that I can maybe search for that to find out where they bought it? Well, uh, Donald, there is a feature that Google has. It's called Google Image Search, which is really good. Go, you, you, can, you can Google it, <laughs> Google Image Search. And then what you do, you bring up Google Image Search. I, I put a link to it in the, in the, in the show notes, but, but you, you could just Google it and go to it. There's a, if you go to the search, uh, the search bar there, there's a, a camera. You click on that camera. It's on the right side. And then you have a choice of either uploading the image or pasting in the URL of an image. And then you, 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 can, you can upload the image, put in the URL of the image, and then it will search the internet and tell you where, where you could find it. I mean, it, 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 they've already done the search and the, the data is there. So you, you put in, uh, you know, I used it. I, one time I, I had to do the same thing. There was a photo that I wanted and I didn't want to steal it. And I and I had um, already gotten the photo. I had it on my computer. So I uploaded the photo to Google Image Search, and it located that photo in probably two or 300 sites. Well, about the 50th site down was iStock Photos, and that was the place that was selling that photo. And I could buy a high-resolution version of that photo from iStock Photos for $9.60. How long has and, this feature been up, Doc? Because Google Image, I've I've often used it to search for an image just by word, you know, using words. But the uh -huh. idea that that little camera uh, icon has been there has it been there for a long time? I think so. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not really sure like, how just long it's now. Been there. I looked looked at it. I followed the link. And I'm like, wow! I never paid attention to that little camera there. And that's what you would that's you would click on that, and then you actually paste your own image in, and you find out where else it lives on the internet. That's right. Or if you might have a question, has somebody stolen the uh, a picture from my Facebook page? Incredible. You could search for it and find out how many people have stolen your photos. <laughs> wow. All right. I mean, that is extremely powerful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I, I I've really just been using it maybe for you know this year. Um, I discovered it this year actually. I don't know how long it's been up. Incredible, really, okay. but it's fantastic, well, and, there and it you is. get the answer back so fast. Yeah, I mean, which means they've already done the scan. The data is there, and they're just pulling it out of their database. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Now we got an email from Sophia in Fairfax. Dear Doc and Andrew, I watched the Freedom Express trucking protest in Canada, and I was dismayed, dismayed by the fact that the Canadian government could freeze the cryptocurrency accounts. I thought cryptocurrency accounts were private and that they could only be controlled by the owner and that nobody could take it. I thought that was the value of cryptocurrency. What am I missing? Sophia in Fairfax, Virginia. Well, uh, Sophia, if you've set up your own crypto wallet and have it secured with a strong password, which would be your private key, you own it. Nobody can take it from you. Now, in order to do that, you've got to download a crypto wallet to your computer you can store a copy of that crypto wallet, and then you can set it up. You can transfer crypto into it, set up, set it up. Now, if you lose that file, you lose all your crypto. So then you want to back it up to a thumb drive. And many people, if they have a crypto wallet, 
they'll back it up to a thumb drive and they'll maybe back it up to three thumb drives and put a couple of them in a safety deposit box if they want to store it. Or you could back it up to a hard drive, put it into the safety deposit box, disconnect it from the internet, and that's called cold storage. And nobody can take that from you at all. Now, uh, and, and you have to have a different crypto wallet for each type of cryptocurrency because the crypto wallet is linked directly into the blockchain and the blockchain will record any cryptocurrency that goes in or out of your wallet and everybody can see that public uh, that public transfer because it's on the uh, it's on the blockchain which is public but you'll need a crypto wallet for bitcoin another crypto wallet for ethereum another crypto wallet for cardano another crypto wallet for polka dot so every uh, cryptocurrency you need a different wallet that is, that is linked directly to that blockchain. Now, if you have a crypto account with an exchange like Coinbase or Binance, uh, you have an account with them. Now, actually, they control the wallets. And your account simply assigns uh, money to you. So like that's why in your account, say at Coinbase, you could have Ethereum, you could have Bitcoin, you could have multiple cryptos because basically they're just saying okay this is your current value based on the crypto valuation and you can look at um, you can look at the money in your account but you actually don't control the crypto wallet coinbase does and binance does sort of like the bank you put money at the bank and you can look at your account but but the fact is there's no money there it's just it's just a record the bank takes your money and they invest it other places. So there's actually no money in your bank. They go off and use your money someplace else and they just keep track of what your money should be. And then it's like an accounting deal. And that's what Coinbase has. So, so what the Canadian government did, they went to the, they went to the exchanges and they said, look, these guys are, are up to no good, uh, freeze their account and bingo, they could do it because they didn't really own the wallet. The, um, you know, the saying is uh, in the crypto world, uh, if you have your own wallet, they say, my password, my crypto. <laughs> I don't have the password. It's not my crypto. <laughs> but now when you're in one of these exchanges, it's pretty like conventional, right? All of a sudden, because they know your name. I mean, you're getting an account with the exchange, right? So it'd be the same as having E-Trade or anybody. They know who you are because you have you know exactly to establish a relationship with them. And the federal government actually has uh, requires them to, to identify you. And you, you've got to put in identifiable information because the uh, government is trying to attack money laundering. So yeah, so the 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 exchanges are no are have the have no privacy just like the bank has no privacy. And they report all the exchanges to the federal government for taxation purposes. So it's not private at all if you're on an exchange, it's just convenient. Now, if if you want to uh have your own private wallet because you don't want uh you know, if you're planning to, to you know to start a truck convoy and you want to keep your wallet private, uh you can, you can download your own private wallet. Now, you can go to bitcoin.org. Actually, what you want, you could search for Bitcoin wallet. And if you go down and you'll about the third or fourth one down under Bitcoin wallet, there's one for bitcoin.org. That's, that's the Bitcoin website. 
And they have a little selection tool for picking out a wallet. They'll ask you a question like, are you expert? Are you a beginner? Do you want open source? Do you want to have these features or those features? And you pick the features that you want, and then it will recommend a wallet for you. It's, it's a pretty nice selection tool because there are literally uh, 100 wallets that all have different capabilities and features. And so for a beginner, it's hard to pick it out. You can also, if Ethereum has the same thing, you, you put the, search for Ethereum wallet. And then pick the uh, pick the website that uh, pick the link that goes to Ethereum.org, and they have a they also have a wallet selection tool. But what you do, you just download the wallet. Uh, you can you can set up the wallet. You can uh, you can create your a private key, and then you'll get a a public key, and you can then start exchanging uh, cryptocurrency with other people using your wallet as a repository. But remember, the address of your wallet is public. Now, so they say it's uh, anonymous, but the address of your wallet is not anonymous. It's public. What is anonymous, nobody knows who owns the wallet. But as soon as you start transferring it to something which is identifiable, then they know. So when you try to get cash out is when they find out who you are. But until you cash out, nobody can tell who owns the uh, wallet. What about making payments to others? Are those anonymous, or does that also then become transparent at that point? Anytime well, you- the thing is, how would you make a payment to somebody else if they didn't know who you were? Right, right. Unless- so uh, now they do have, and I'll, I'll get into that later, there, there is a way you, you can go to like to a marketplace, and, and, and you can do a peer-to-peer exchange, and the marketplace identifies you. And then uh, somebody makes a payment. They hold the payment at escrow until you transfer the Bitcoin, and then they give you the payment or transfer the crypto. So you got a, a middleman there. The guy who you sell it to doesn't know who you are, but the exchange does. <laughs> yeah, that would be like a securities sales. Like if you're selling stock today, someone else bought your stock. You know, at the end of yes. the day, you made money, but someone else bought your. But only E-Trade knows who the two of you are. You don't exactly. know who, the, who you don't know who bought your stock today. You, you don't know, but yeah. you, now you know the address of their wallet. Mm-hmm. So you can you can look at the at the blockchain and you can see, okay, I just sold it to the guy that has this particular wallet. Now, um, now if that guy, if you knew if you knew that particular person bought an NFT from Open Seas, for instance, on Sunday, you could look for a transaction from that wallet on Open Seas at that time. And if you know who made that transaction, you could guess who it was. Uh-huh. So all the transactions are public. So if you know what somebody's up to, you can sort of look around for transactions that occurred at a certain time, at a certain place, and you can kind of guess who they are. So it's, they, they say it's pseudo-anonymous. <laughs> so it, it's, 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 kind of, it's kind of tricky. We got, uh, we got an email from Frustrated in Burke. <laughs> is that the real name of the person? Frustrated? Yeah, frustrated. What an unusual I, I name. I think this person didn't want to know their didn't well, want to know their real kids name. Kids get crazy names nowadays, don't they? That's right. Doc, a problem. I've seen on my on my account uh, that I'm receiving email addresses to my name at gmail.com. I, I they didn't want to put their real name there, you see. Oh, so they okay, put my okay, name at okay. gmail.com. And emails addressed to accounts that I do not have. So these are coming into my Gmail account. It's really weird having these odd things. I noticed this happened to somebody else's account too. Any ideas? Frustrated in Burke. Well, it had to be. It has to be sent to your, to your, Gmail account, your actual Gmail account, or you wouldn't be receiving it in your inbox. So, 
So they're just spoofing the email address that you're seeing. And, and this is a, a common thing that uh, spammers do. But Gmail has, you know, has really good spam control. I, the one thing I like about G, my Gmail account, I hardly get any spam in it. But if I look at my spam folder, it's just filled. Gmail's got great filters to actually filter out the spam. Now, what you can do, you can, uh, I mean, there, there are several things that you can do to, to address this. You can, you can block an email address. So if, if they're all coming from the same email address, you can simply block it. So what you want to do, you just open up the email that you want to block. And then in the upper right-hand corner of that email, there's a, the three little dots. Click on that, and a drop-down menu comes down, and, and these are actions you can take. And you can click on block the sender's name. And, you, and the, the actual sender's name that's in that email will show up there. Click on that. And if you do that, Anytime an email comes from that sender, it'll automatically go to your spam filter and you won't look at it. It's really easy to do. But isn't the problem well, that they use different email addresses? If is, they're spoofing, the they're problem. spoofing different people with everything they send. So you, you, you won't block the next one if it's spoofed in a different, under a different... Exactly. Uh, yeah. So what, what, what they do is that they, they hack somebody's email account and get their contacts. Uh -huh, and yeah. they and they basically just go down that contact list and, they're, and they put down from address... From the contacts that somebody has in their list, that's very common. So they always they always change it, but but sometimes it could be a you know come you know a newsletter or something you don't want to get from a a vendor, and they they don't do that. Right. And that that would work. Now you can report it as spam. <clears throat> uh, that's probably the best thing because if you if you if you report it to spam, there's a characteristic on you know what they're saying, what the title is, what they're selling, <clears throat> and if enough people report it it tunes up Google spam filter and it gets better and better and better. So if you want to report it to Google as spam, do the same thing. Open up the email, click on the three dots on the right, and out of that drop-down list of things that you can do, pick the action that says click on report to scam, to, to spam. And you've got you, you you've got a re, you've got a choice of just you can you can report it as spam or you can unsubscribe and also report it to spam. So you can, and they'll unsubscribe for you. So I would just click unsubscribe and then report it as spam. And you see, and if, and if enough people report that particular email as spam, then then Google just includes it in the spam filter. And uh, and that's why they're so good because it's it's basically crowdsourced information. And after now, all, usually these spoofers and spammers they're sending the same type of message over and over again. So if you start, yes. if yeah, if you start keying in on the the content or that the title of it or, or a keyword or something like that, then it's easier to block, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So you, you you'll get these ads uh, that, and they'll, they'll have the same kind of title, you know. Right. And it, and they're, they're they're similar characteristics, and so you'll more than likely block 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 them on the content within within the email itself, rather than rather than the. Uh, the uh, then the from address. Now you can also set up, and if if you want to really become sophisticated, you can set up your own spam filter. So what you want to do is you can uh, in the uh, what you can do you can you can go to the search bar of uh, you get, you go to your Google account. Just go to your Gmail account online. Don't don't use the Gmail account which is built into Windows. You want to go to the actual Google Gmail account online. And you and on the on the right side of the search bar, you can click on that, and it will. And then you've got the ability to set up a customized filter. 
So you can type in the keywords if this keyword is in the subject or if it's from somebody or if it's to somebody or there might be some words in the body of the thing. You can just write those down and you can say set the create the filter and then it will actually filter out that out directly. Uh, I mean, if you have if you if you do a search and you find and you find that you've gotten 50 emails that are all identical. You could just key in on, say, the subject of that, and, and you could create a custom customized filter just for that subject. Um, and so you're basically your own personal spam filter, and, and, and you can tell it where you want it to go. You can say, I want it to be deleted. I want it to go to spam, wherever you want it to go. So you're basically, uh, that's, that's essentially what Google would do if enough people report it, but then you get, get it done instantly if you set up your own customized filter. We got an email from John in Washington. Dear Tech Talk, the hard drive on my computer died, and I replaced it with a solid-state drive. Uh, I've read that solid-state drives are a lot more reliable than hard drives and that they rarely go bad. So my question is, do I really need to back up? Well, I mean, I don't know. John, you should know this answer. <laughs> John, you should know this answer. Of course you have to back up. Now, solid-state drives are more reliable uh, but they do fail, and they will fail eventually. And unlike hard drives, when a solid state drive fails, it rarely gives you warning, and uh, you're just gone. Now, solid state drive, in addition, the solid state drive, if it fails, you, it, the data may not be recoverable at all, whereas if a, a, a traditional magnetic disk drive fails, there's still information on the disk drive and you can, that you can pull off even if, say, the, the system fails. So solid state drive, it, it's gone. The data might be gone too. So solid state drive is basically just a circuit board populated with flash memory chips. Uh, and like all electronic components, the subject to failure. If your solid state drive fails and you don't have a recent backup, your data is gone forever. Uh, both Windows and Macs are very easy to back up these days. Simply plug in an external USB hard drive, which you can get for 100 bucks or so. Click a few mouses, mouse clicks, and then you can, you can back up. You can make a disk image onto that external hard drive. It's really cheap. It's really easy to do. So I'd recommend that you just, uh, you know, if you want to do that, just, just have an external hard drive at home. You can do the backup. Now what I do, I've got a, I've got cloud storage, I've got carbonite, carbonite, and I just I back up everything on with carbonite, and it's backed up anytime I make a change to my hard drive, it's it's backed up, you know, with you know very quickly. So uh, automatically, right? It's a bit it's backed up automatically. But now so with I'm the not I'm not running. Uh, I don't have an external hard drive here to back it up, but but then you you know you got to pay a hundred dollars a year to carbonite. Whereas if you just back up to the hard drive at your house, you $100, you have the hard drive. But what know? does it involve? You said a few clicks. Are, are you dragging like it to the hard drive icon and then it copies it to it? Is that what you're doing with everything that you want to save? Do you have to do it? Well, you're, you're, you're just making a disk image. So you can, um, uh, most of the operating systems allow you to make, make a disk image. So you just go to backup and you make a disk image. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> and... Uh, you, you can actually buy backup software that's more convenient, so you can easily restore one file. So if you want to spend a little money, you can get you can get backup software. But this thing is so it's so automated that um, it's very easily done, and all the operating systems now have disk images. And a disk image basically 
it, it, it image, it's, it's a total image of, of the hard drive, of the, not of the hard drive, but the drive, of the solid state drive, so that if you have a failure, you can restore the image and it restores everything, your, your, the operating system, the programs, and the data. That's as opposed to where you just have a backup where you back up, say, all your files, and then if you lose the hard drive, you've got your file, so you didn't lose your Excel spreadsheets, you didn't use your Word documents, but you've got to reinstall the operating system, you've got to reinstall your applications, and hopefully you've still got your license keys and all of that. Whereas with the disk image, it's all there. You just restore it with the disk image, and it's just like it was before it failed. So, uh, you know, you definitely want to back up. There's no, no question about that, John. Hmm. We got an email from Ovet. Whoa, it's 928. I think we just better <laughs> We're gonna have to put slow her down. Oh, sorry here. about I'm that, way Ovet. Over. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry, Ovet. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll take Ovet <laughs> next week. All right. Well, that's it for today's mailbag. But what we learned something today on today's Tech Talk Radio already, how dangerous it can be to turn on an old TV set. Who knew? You might take down your neighborhood's connection to the Internet because, you know, you might be jamming. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. The need has never been greater for healthcare professionals. Nursing is one of the most in-demand degrees you can have. If you are a registered nurse, you can get a fast track to a BSN and advance your nursing career to the next level. The Stratford University RN to BSN pathway can be completed fully online or in a classroom setting at the Alexandria or Woodbridge campus. Find out more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University. Changing lives, one student at a time. How do you advance your career while still working full-time? With an education that fits your schedule, Stratford University allows students the flexibility to access the course material 24-7 and finish their assignments at their convenience. Pursuing your master's degree has never been easier. You can do this. Find out about graduate programs in cybersecurity, digital forensics, information systems, accounting, and more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University. Changing lives, one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Today we're going to feature Nikola Tesla. Nikola Tesla is an inventor from Serbia, an electrical engineer, a mechanical engineer, and a futurist, best known for the modern alternating current electrical supply system. Nikola Tesla was born July 10th, 1856 in Smiljan, Croatia, which was then part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. His father was a priest in the Serbian Orthodox Church. His mother managed the family farm, and she had this unbelievable memory. 
she could memorize long books of poetry at will. And she actually taught her son Tesla how to, uh, how to remember things and how to memorize things. Tesla's brother Daniel was killed in a horse riding accident in 1863. The shock of Daniel's loss unsettled seven-year-old Tesla. And after that event, he reported seeing visions. And later in life, it was during these visions that he would have, that he would visualize his most prophetic inventions. So it was a gift and a curse at the same time. In 1870, Tesla moved to Karlovic to attend high school at the Higher Real Gymnasium, where classes were held in German. Now, while there, he was fascinated with exper experiments of electricity uh, given by his physics professor. I mean, Tesla was a great student. He could perform integral calculus in his head. I mean, his teachers thought he was cheating because he would have this complicated integral and he would just write down the answer. He graduated uh, from the four-year program in three years in 1873. Now, after graduating, uh, Tesla returned back home to Smiljan, but he contracted cholera. And he was bedridden for nine months and near death multiple times. Now, at one time when he was particularly ill, his father promised to send him to the best engineering school rather than the seminary if he recovered from the illness. You see, back then, the firstborn child gets the farm, the secondborn child becomes a priest. So he was in line to be the priest, secondborn born. He was in line to be the priest. Uh, his father said, look, if you recover, I'll let you go to the best, <laughs> to the best engineering school in the area. And miraculously, Nikola recovered <laughs> quickly. <laughs> he studied math and physics at the Technical University of Graz, and then he studied philosophy at the University of Prague. Now, he never actually graduated. He, he was, I mean, he was a great student. The, he impressed the, uh, the teachers, but near the end, he sort of uh, stopped coming to class and started, uh, you know, playing hooky. It turned out that he had a gambling addiction, and he ended up dropping out of school. Actually, he gambled away his semester's tuition that his uncles had sent him, and so he couldn't he couldn't enroll. And he ended up um, uh, sort of disappearing for a while. Tesla moved to Budapest, Hungary, in 1881 to work at a telegraph company. He was he was actually uh, working on uh, back in the central exchange, and he actually created uh, some amplifiers and some switching circuits that were quite innovative at the time for them. In 1882, he was hired by Continental Edison Company in Paris. This was a, a branch of uh, Thomas Edison's company, you know, Thomas Edison, the inventor of the light bulb. And he, he was hired by the, the Parisian branch, and he was uh, uh, tasked to repair direct current the direct current power plant. Um, you see, Edison was pushing direct current uh, rather than alternating current for electrical distribution. He was like really focused on that. And that battle between direct current versus alternating current became known as the battle of the currents. And Tesla was right in the middle of it. There's more to that to come in this story. He, uh, he migrated to the U.S. His boss there in Edison said, this, this guy's bright. He can invent stuff. 
So he invited them. Uh, and so his boss was moving to headquarters there in Manhattan. So he said, why don't you come along with me? So he migrated to the U.S. to work for his boss there. And he was hired as an engineer at Thomas Edison's Manhattan headquarters. Now, he worked there for a year. He impressed Edison with his diligence and ingenuity. I mean, he was extremely inventive. I mean, one time Edison told Tesla he'd pay him about $50,000 to improve the design for his DC dynamos. I mean, there was about, he had about 20 dynamos. And Tesla went in and he actually improved all 20 of them. He came back, he came back. I mean, you know, Edison just actually didn't expect it. Well, it turned out $50,000 then is equivalent to a million and a half dollars now. So he came back, improved the design, and Edison said, you know, I was just kidding. That wasn't real. And he, he reneged on that. He said, this was just a joke. He said, I didn't think anybody could, could improve my dynamo. And um, uh, soon after that, Tesla quit. See, this was the thing. Tesla came to Edison with an idea. He had, uh, he had visualized a, um, a, uh, a motor, an induction motor, that used alternating current, that generated alternating current, and he wanted to explore this in Edison's shop. Edison would have nothing to do with alternating current, AC, because he had a lock on all the DC current patents, and he was only wanted DC current. He did not want to even hear the words AC current mentioned. So Tesla couldn't work on it. So Tesla quit, and uh, and he started working, and he started a company because he, he needed to earn some money. So he got a couple of guys to support him, and he was going to design an arc lamp lighting system. You see, Tess, uh, Edison had, had bid on this arc lamp uh, lighting system, but always lost because DC current is a low voltage current, so and arc lamps are, are high voltage devices, so he could he could never actually operate an arc lamp. Well, you know, since uh, since Tesla was working on AC, he 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 thought, well, I'm going to put together a bid for an, for uh, for an arc lamp system. So he said, and so he got a couple of guys to back him, and uh, and they started and they he started working on this arc lamp system. He got a couple of investors. Now he didn't have any money, so he assigned all of his patents to the uh, to the company. And, uh, and they started working, and then they discovered there was competition in the arc lamp business and that the comp competitors were, were not charging much. So these guys decided, we're, we're not going to make much money in this arc lamp hardware. So they pivoted just to become an, uh, an electric supply company, and they basically uh, cut uh, Nikola Tesla out. So he was out of job. Actually, he lost his patents because they had been assigned to the company, and he was just out, out to lunch. He had nothing. So he ended up digging ditches for $2 a day for a while. Get this. He was digging ditches for, for Edison Electric. That was really humiliating. It's totally humiliating at that point. I would yeah. Think. yeah. Now, now he found uh, some more backers. He found a couple of more backers uh, to support his interest in alternating current. Uh, and, um, and so they backed him, and he, he, you know, all he had were his patents, and so... And they and they had they had the money. These are a couple of businessmen, so they backed him, and uh, and he started working, doing what you know what he loves. He started working in the lab, and in 1887, 1888, he was granted more than 30 patents for his in, inventions, uh, including including the induction motor. Um, actually, he he had invented that induction motor, by the way, back when he was in school. He was out walking 
this was, be, you know, before he before his gambling addiction, he'd been walking out in the countryside and, and he got this flash of light and he could see the induction motor visually. This is how he invented. He would see the invention totally formed in his mind. And he and he drew down the details in the sand. And so he's had this invention in his mind all, all these years. And so he ended up getting that patented. And, uh, the, and, he, and he was invited to the, one of his uh, contacts, who was one of the investors, was connected with the American Institute of Electrical Engineers. And he was invited to address the uh, American Institute of Electrical Engineers and discuss his work, and in particular, demonstrate his motor. So he went there, and these guys were impressed. One guy was particularly impressed, George Westinghouse. George Westinghouse was... Uh, was actually trying to create an AC distribution system. And, uh, and he saw this motor, this induction, where he says, this guy, I've got to have him. So he ended up uh, cutting a deal with, uh, with Tesla where, where any of the motors that he would build using Tesla's plant, patent, he would, uh, Tesla, he would pay Tesla a royalty of $2.50 per horsepower that the motor produced for each motor. I mean, it's a lot of royalty. And they, and they gave him, and they, and they hired him at, on stipend to, uh, to work for, uh, for Westinghouse. And he they were going to pay him about $2,000 a month. That's equivalent in today's dollars, about 50,000 a month. So he was like high on the hog Tesla. So, uh, and so he was working, uh, developing more things on his own and Westinghouse was going on to, uh, to do this. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, AC was really uh, destined to win because in, in the case of, of AC, DC is a, is a low voltage system. So since it's low voltage, there's high current in the wire. So, and you can't get extremely high voltage. It's hard to produce high voltage DC. So if you try to transmit DC a long distance, you have so much resistance resistive loss because of the current that it that the the signal dies away and you've got to have a a new plant to regenerate it on the other hand ac current you can put it into a transformer and crank it up to fifty thousand volts and you can send super high voltage over the uh, over the uh, the lines the the transmission lines and the current is so low most of the energy is electromagnetic electromagnetic energy carried in the air surrounding the wire, and you can send a signal long distance with very little drop off. So for long distance transmission, you really want AC, and so that was why ultimately AC would win. So he came up with with Tesla, and they were they were going to work on this thing, and and they would they would prevail. But what happened was. Thomas Edison started spending rumors to the, the, the stock market had, had just crashed. He started spreading rumors to the bankers that Westinghouse was about going to go out of business. It was a, it was a high capitally intensive business he was in. They better pull his money. So Westinghouse, because of the uh, Edison dirty tricks, uh, all of his bankers pulled his loans. He he uh, he he really couldn't uh, he really couldn't. Uh, um, you know, survive without anything. So Westinghouse came back to uh, Tesla and he says, look, I don't have any money. My investors don't want to give me more money because these royalties are so high. They think we'll never make any money. Um, I I've got to renegotiate it. And, and Tesla, Tesla said, look, Michael, he says, I think AC power is going to transform the world. It, I, I want it done. And he took 
the royalty contract and ripped it up and gave it all to Westinghouse for nothing. Now, that cost him in royalty about $12 million in the day. That would be $300 million in today's dollars. And had he not torn that up, he would have probably been one of the first industrial billionaires in the U.S. But he, he was more concerned with getting the technology to mankind than he was with money. Now, six years later, Westinghouse purchased the patents for a lump sum payment of $216,000 as part of a patent sharing assignment with General Electric. Now, then Tesla had some money to work on his own. So in the 1890s, he invented electric oscillators. He invented electric meters. He invented improved light systems, neon lights. He, he invented neon lights. He, uh, he invented a high-voltage transformer known as the Tesla coil. You've seen these domes that are flashing out, <laughs> flashes of lightning coming from those. Those are, those are powered by high-voltage Tesla coils. He even experimented with x-rays. I mean, he even built a remote control boat. And at Madison Square Garden, he, they had a huge bathtub there, and he drove this boat around this bathtub in, in Madison Square Garden. People were amazed by it. They thought, I mean, it was a fairly big boat. People thought that he had a monkey in there, uh, you know, guiding it. They couldn't believe that it was so, really That was wireless. a more plausible explanation, a trained monkey. <laughs> they, they said they had a trained monkey that was watching him, and we'd, we'd move his oh, hand one goodness. way, the monkey would move the boat. That, uh, that's all that, that's the only way they could imagine that it was, that it was going to be working. Now, Tesla and Westinghouse worked together on the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago. Um, this is like a World's Fair. And they lit the entire World's Fair with, uh, you know, with, uh, with AC light bulbs. And people said, wow, this is fantastic. Now, they even, <clears throat> with, uh, with uh, Tesla's designs, back then they were building Niagara Falls generating plant. And they, they had to decide what kind of generators they should put in there. Are they going to be DC or AC or what the technology? Uh, Tesla designed them. And uh, Westinghouse won the contract to put the generators into Niagara Falls. And, uh, <clears throat> I mean, and, and, you know, the rest is history. This was way back, way, way back. Because you see an induction motor, if you power it and spin an induction motor, it generates electricity. If you put electricity into the induction motor, it spins like a motor. So a motor is both a generator and a motor. Doc, those little things on the back of bicycles, you attach to your bicycle wheel and then you light your light. Is that an induction motor? Yeah, it is. Uh-huh. Or a yeah, induction they're, generator they're, they're, in that they're, case. They're, your your mm -hmm. car engine one. So mm -hmm. he, uh, you know, and it was an ex extremely efficient because you don't have rotors. Rotors are the things, the, the contacts that go on the, uh, when the thing spins around, it contacts on. They, they, uh, induction motors are contactless. And they, and they don't need a spark start, so they have a very long lifetime. By the way, all the, in, in the Tesla cars, all, the, all their motors are induction motors. Um, now, he, but you see, he, he was not making any money on all this. I mean, you know, Westinghouse, big guy, made a lot of money. Ultimately, Edison Electric became General Electric, so Westinghouse was, of course, Westinghouse Electric, and General Electric was uh, morphed from Edison Electric. Those were the, and those are still the two big industrial names that we have that we have today. Now he was working on his own. He was inventing all these things. He had labs there in Manhattan. In 1895, 
Tesla's New York lab burned down. It destroyed years of notes and equipment. In fact, he, you know, he invented the wireless radio two years before Marconi, but all of his notes were destroyed. This, this is this killer, Doc. He, invent, he invents the radio before Marconi. He invents X-ray <laughs> before Röntgen does. I yes. mean, he's like, he's ahead of everybody, but he never gets credit. And, he, and what's more, he never gets the money. He never, he never gets any of the money. Now, he, he was so distraught, he went to Colorado Springs for two years uh, working on stuff there. Then he returned to New York in 1900. He secured backing from J.P. Morgan and began building a global communication network. He was trying to compete with Marconi. Now, he, but that's what J.P. Morgan thought he was building. He thought that he could build these giant towers around the world as giant induction devices and that you could set up these induction, you could set up these uh, vibrating electronic waves, induction, and then somebody could, could take a light bulb and they could stick it in the ground and they could power their light bulb with the induction power that was, that was coming to you. I mean, he he showed this uh, wireless transmission of power by you know by lighting up a neon light bulb, with, with putting it close to his Tesla coil, for instance, and and the induction would sort of uh, you know drive electricity through the neon light bulb and it would light up. So he thought that he could deliver power to the masses with this system. So he was building this giant tower in New York, but then J.P. Morgan, it was so grandiose. J.P. Morgan said, "I can't I can't afford this." And also, J.P. Morgan said, look, look, Tesla, how are we going to make money giving away free power? I mean, that's that's a bad business model. <laughs> yeah, that is a bad business model. I'll grant him that. <laughs> so so he ended up pulling the plug in that uh, that giant uh, Walden Cliff. It was at Walden Cliff. That's what he called the tower in New Long, in Long Island. Yeah. Long Island. Yeah. He, he ended up losing it and went bankrupt. Doc, is this what... Uh when we have wireless charging now of our cell phones and stuff, is this induction also? It or? is. Uh-huh. It is. That's exactly the principle that uh, that uh, that uh, Tesla wanted to use. Except he wanted to, he wanted to have that kind of wireless charging everywhere. So they're they're talking about having induction charging in a room where you, where you can put inductions around the room and you walk in and anything in the room will be charged. I mean, we are walking along the direction of what Tesla was talking about years ago. But we're going to find a way to charge for it. That's what we're going to do. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Now, he uh, he ended up, after those funds ran out, he was basically penniless. Uh, he ended up living in a New York hotel, working on new invention as his mental health faded and his energy faded. He had these obsessions with the number three. He was always washing his clothes, washing his hands. He was a germaphobe. He sort of sort of went the same route as Howard Hughes in the end. Uh-huh. He spent his final years feeding and communicating with the city's pigeons. Uh, he died in his hotel room, January 7th, 1943, virtually penniless. Now, a year later, the Supreme Court voided Marconi, Marconi's key patents and acknowledged that actually Tesla had invented the radio. But of course, Marconi had already gotten the Nobel Prize for it. <laughs> And all the money for it, and so and he was he was gone. And the AC systems that he championed have actually become the global standard. Wow. So there you go. Everything you want to know about Nikola Tesla, it's a sad story, but this guy's passion, his passion, was to bring technology to the world to help the world, and his wasn't so interested in money. 
There you go. Everything you want to know about Nikola Tesla. Well, we'll still have time for observations from the faculty lounge. Stay around as Tech Talk Radio continues. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. The need has never been greater for healthcare professionals. Nursing is one of the most in-demand degrees you can have. If you are a registered nurse, you can get a fast track to a BSN and advance your nursing career to the next level. The Stratford University RN to BSN pathway can be completed fully online or in a classroom setting at the Alexandria or Woodbridge campus. Find out more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University. Changing lives, one student at a time. How do you advance your career while still working full-time? With an education that fits your schedule, Stratford University allows students the flexibility to access the course material 24-7 and finish their assignments at their convenience. Pursuing your master's degree has never been easier. You can do this. Find out about graduate programs in cybersecurity, digital forensics, information systems, accounting, and more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University. Changing lives, one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now it is time for observations from the faculty lounge. The story of Nikola Tesla is one of great personal tragedy. Uh, one of the greatest in in the modern history. Do we have any uh, any voice of Tesla, by the way? I believe we do. Here's a recording of him. Yeah. Electric power is everywhere present in unlimited quantities. It can drive the world's machinery without the need of coal, oil, gas, or any other fuel. This new power for the driving of the world's machinery will be derived from the energy which operates the universe. The cosmic energy. Wow, the cosmic energy. Okay, but he, the he's cosmic really talking energy, about, uh-huh. and his mission in life was to bring that energy to every man. Now he was arguably one of the greatest scientific geniuses of all time. He, but he faced poverty, slander, persecution during his lifetime. I mean, in the big fight of the of the um, AC versus DC, the fight of the currents, uh, Edison would pay children 25 cents to bring their cat in or dog, and he would ex- execute them with AC power to show how dangerous AC power was. Uh, and Edison did that quite often. He even, uh, there was an elephant that retired from the circus, and Edison electrocuted the uh, elephant with AC power to show the dangers of it. Edison got a contract with the penitentiary system and built the first electric chair, chair using AC power to show how dangerous it was. And he was constantly, constantly trying to besmirch uh, Tesla. Now, his numerous and Tesla's numerous inventions and discoveries offered the potential to revolutionize the world and where they were implemented, they did. Now, Tesla came in conflict with Edison when, you know, the big fight over AC versus DC now, the tragedy of Tesla is profound. He was a genius and a visionary, but at his death, he was alone and penniless. 
Now, Tesla, Tesla was a scientist that wanted to help the world. He sought power for all, lighting for all. And he wasn't concerned with profit. He was maligned uh, by Edison. He was fleeced by businessmen like Westinghouse, who took advantage of naivete. Now, the thing is, was his passion for science foolish or inspired? I would say, if I were conjecture, that he simply picked the wrong partner. Remember we said you need somebody who's like the nerd who can create the technology and somebody else who's the businessman and the marketing guy who can package it? So it's sort of like Tesla was the Wozniak and he didn't have the jobs. But you actually, uh, we were talking about this before the show, and you actually introduced a, a new element into it because we were saying, you know, there's the, the nerd and the showman. And you were saying, but Tesla's actually a showman too. What he's simply missing is the business end of it. He's missing the business end. He wasn't motivated to make the uh, the money. So so maybe he needs uh, <clears throat> somebody to run the, uh, the, uh, the, the business, like Tim Cook. Okay, so maybe like he, he, needed, he made, needed somebody like a Tim Cook. So what happened, whenever he would get a partner, he'd get a partner who was just trying to grab a buck. They, were, they said, okay, we're going to make a lot of money on the Tesla's patents. So he just had money-grubbing partners. He never got a partner who shared the vision to actually make the technology go and make it, make it transform the world. Now, Westinghouse could have been that guy because Westinghouse believed in AC power. But on the other hand, Westinghouse, you know, took the rights to the patent and sort of, uh, you know, gave him the shaft on the deal. And, you know, Westinghouse ended up making all the money. You know, so he, he had the unfortunate uh, luck to be born in the age of robber barons because a lot of these guys, that, that's what they were about was making money. And they didn't have few scruples about how they got there. That's right. Now... <clears throat> It, it's too bad that he could not have partnered with Edison because Edison was very good at business. He was also an inventor, but he just couldn't, he just, he couldn't stand being wrong. And he just couldn't stomach the idea that AC might be better than DC. And so, um, but if Tesla would have found the right partner, everything could have been different. So I, I think if you look at all of these guys that are starting their businesses, they all say the most important thing is picking the right partner. And Tesla, in every single case, picked the wrong partner. At least so I he think was consistent. Lessons from that. Yeah, he was consistent in that at least, huh? We'll give him, we'll give him points for consistency, Doc. He was. So <laughs> listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. And then go to our website, www.stratford.edu. Check out our health science programs, nursing programs, culinary, uh, hospitality, business, accounting, um, uh, computer science, computer networking, software engineering. We teach you all the way from associate degree to the master's degree, and then we get you a job. So check it out and tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online. <laughs>